Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is hour two of Mornings Without Carmen this week. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for this week and the rest of next week as well. Been so fun to be back with all of you listening, starting our day together as the people of the kingdom, doing the best we can to shine light in the world. And just a, a difficult time in which we live, and yet his kingdom will always remain. It is sovereign in that way. Nothing will ever prevail against it. And so we can turn our minds, turn our eyes, turn our hearts back towards the kingdom as we do this morning. Great first hour. If you missed that hour, I highly recommend going back and listening to Ben Johnson and to Gary Stratton on My Faith Radio. Dot com And with what Gary talked about related to discipleship and the words of Jesus moving forward, we have a great second hour coming up as well. We'll be joined by Melissa Mork in just a moment, talk about navigating grief with humor. But Paul, we have some pretty uh, interesting headlines. It's a pretty heavy conversation with Gary, though he does it mm-hmm. in such a lighthearted, light touch oh, yeah. way, of course. And so I thought maybe some of the lighter headlines, but you put this across my desk this morning, and, and I think you used the word hero mm-hmm. uh, related to this for me. Yes. And the headline is a Swiss golfer. Who, Swiss. Swiss, right. And Swiss. so already, I mean, if, if I could disappear into a small hamlet in Switzerland, it would be just an ideal life. So already he's a bit of my hero, but he's also bald, which That's again, the, he's got I that just, going he for does. Him. He, he's fit, which which I am not, okay, but, but he's he clearly from his picture, he's very fit. He's probably like Carmen LeBurge right now, who's at this fitness camp, exactly, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, but here's the deal. Me as a golfer, this man broke the Guinness Book of World's Record, uh, World Records by playing in 12 hours. In, in 12, 12 hours. hours he played 252 holes of golf. Two hundred and, and, and if you can't do the math this morning, what that translates to is that is 13 rounds of golf, full 18 holes. Uh-huh. I was thinking about as often as I play golf, if I play a very fast nine holes, it might be one hour. He's playing on average 18 holes about every 45 minutes in the situation. So oh. I walked in and thought, Paul, there's no way. He's obviously using a cart. I mean, anybody using a cart could probably... He, he walked, did not. and not only that, a probably round of, ran. He probably he probably did. And a round of golf is about four mile walk, typically speaking. So do the math: thirteen rounds of golf times four miles walking. I believe that's fifty two miles by my little abacus I have in front of me. Mm-hmm. That he walked that day and played golf, and he shattered the world record. So this is he did it for charity. What a great cause! What a just a that's delightful the thing. I love thing, the fact right? that he did it for charity. He did it for charity instead. So it was just a, a sweet headline. He beat the previous record by thirty. One holes. One other maybe disturbing headline we see from the beaches of Maine this morning. And Maine, by all accounts, is quite a beautiful place from what I understand. But people, as they're heading onto the beach, are coming back with dirty feet, except it's not dirt. They didn't know what it was, but there is an NOAA oceanographer, John Lillibridge, stopped by one of the beaches, collected a sample of dark substance left in the sand. After putting that substance under a microscope, it turned out to be 
a mass of dead bugs collected from the water. This is why, for me, I'm a little bit of a germaphobe, Paul, but I would suggest a good chlorine-filled swimming pool any day (laughs) above the nature of the beach. So some fun headlines this morning as we are working through some of the topics of the kingdom, and we'll certainly do that with Professor Melissa Mork up next. And get ready, because there's an opportunity for you as listeners as well to participate in what's called a MOOC. It's an online class that Melissa does on navigating grief with humor. Incredibly popular class, and we recommend signing up this morning. So we'll chat with Melissa next on Mornings Without Carmen. Welcome back to the show this morning and just delighted to be joined by Melissa Mork, who is a psychologist and professor at the University of Northwestern St. Paul and has a great opportunity for all of you as listeners to participate in an online, it's a free online class called Navigating Grief with Humor. Paul, there's a way in which our listeners could even sign up as soon as this morning, right? Oh yeah, actually just go to our website, myfaithradio.com. There is a little picture right there about the class. Just click on that and you can sign up right there even this morning. Yeah, I think a lot of us are familiar with grief, and so I'm excited to talk with Melissa this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. It's great to have you. And so before we start the conversation, though, you know that I have just a, just a small bone to po- uh, pick with you, Professor Mark, and, and, and that is that my son happens to be a student at the same institution where you and I teach together. And let me just say that after a class with you, he came home and just raved and raved and raved, and, and, and I became Professor Junior Varsity to you, for sure. Mm-hmm. I can't even get on the playing court with him anymore because the mm-hmm. students just mm-hmm. universally seem to love you. My son was no exception. Yeah, well, uh, mutually, you have one student that uh, clamors for me. I have a number of advisees that clamor to take Kapsner's class every semester <laughs> that I have to listen to them droning on and on about how great you are. So, you know, it happens. It goes both ways. Melissa, By the way, Melissa, just... Melissa, Melissa, don't, don't go there. It's just not... Yeah, yeah, Paul's, uh, yeah. he will call me the diva. And so I, but I appreciate you, that you and I are part of the Mutual Admiration Society, even if it's a yeah. society of two, yeah. right? Well, yeah. uh, I think that the topic that you address, and you address so well with both death and substance and human... Uh, humor is this idea of grief and this comes right out of your own journey melissa i know it does does. you 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 are very familiar with grief so tell our listeners just a little bit about your own journey with this boy well today is my wedding anniversary Um, Mm. my husband passed away three and a half years ago um and so today is even a bittersweet day for me my parents died both died when i was in college and i had a series of reproductive losses and a number of my friends uh have passed away in fact um of the 16 people in our wedding party, there are only six of us still living. So there's been a, a lot of loss in my life. But kind of like in Romans 9, um, 20 and 21, we don't get to ask. You know, we, get, we don't get to talk back to God. We don't get to ask why. We don't get to demand as lumps of clay to uh, not be turned into one thing or another. And I feel like I've just been turned into a vessel that, has, that can pour out some understanding based on what I've gone through. Hmm. I, those, uh, I just, the pain of loss, right? The, those moments afterwards and in the days that come, I think those are the places that people who have walked those roads of tears that you described that you maybe just don't know if you haven't walked them yourself, where it's almost every minute yeah. it, it feels like it's in front of you, especially in those weeks and, and months later. How, how did you navigate some of those times where 
when maybe the phone call stopped and the well wishes stopped and maybe some of the dinner stopped, all incredibly well-meaning and, and really important, but you're still the one living in the minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour. How, how did you work through some of that, Melissa? Well, and we'll talk about this in the, in the course, but one of the things that really helped me was it wasn't just my faith, but it was my gratitude. I really clung to gratitude of just even the smallest things. So in the darkest moments when I felt completely overwhelmed and ambushed by my grief, I could pause and think, well, at least I have a hot, a hot water heater that works <laughs> or thank you God that I have air conditioning right now, or thank you God that my children, my children are healthy. And so, um, turning my attention to what I could still be grateful for, or even grateful for that. I had a husband who loved me so deeply. So turning my heart to gratitude, I think is wrapped up in this concept of, of good humor of joy and, um, and seeking levity in even the hardest parts of grief, not to make the grief uh, less intense, but to balance it with intense joy. I think what you just said is maybe among the most profound of the biblical invitations. I know it's a passage that we reference oftentimes at funerals as we should, is that we grieve, right? But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And and again, yeah. that can be one of those things that we sort of intellectually no, but it sounds to me, Melissa, that in certain kinds of ways, you had a, an abiding hope. It wasn't hope or grief. It was hope somehow in the midst of grief that helped inform the tears and, and helped have a stability around it. If you could speak to that a bit, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it pretty, I have to admit, when my parents were, my mother was killed in a car crash when I was a junior in college, and my dad didn't live much longer past that. My faith was shaken, and I had a deep well, for, you know, a, a young woman, my, I thought my faith was, was strong, and yet my faith was shaken there. I, I blamed God. I was angry at God. And, but, you know, Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And it, it, it took 10 years for uh, that sun to finally set on my anger. But I, I didn't stop believing in God. I was really mad at God. Um, and so that faith did sustain me. And I, uh, when I did return, his, he received me with very open arms. And then when my husband died, it was a completely different framework because my husband, my parents were as well, but my husband was a, a man of deep faith, great faith. And in his four months from diagnosis to death, his faith was so strong. And I mean, it didn't matter who he encountered. The first conversation he would have was about Jesus. And and so when he died, not only did I have hope of seeing my husband again and knowing where he was, but also it was just, I, I continued in that walk of, of, of faith that this wasn't, this wasn't for naught, that God was going to use this experience to transform me and my children and those with whom I would come into contact. So hmm. that he has definitely been a, a stable, stalwart, uh, abiding force of love in my life. My God has. Hmm. Well, so I think that's an incredible invitation. And, and again, some of those deep places in the kingdom that uh, when we're walking through those valleys of darkness, that we that there really is an authentic God who shepherds us through. And, and I think some of the interesting things that you learned in this, and I want to talk about this just after a short break in a moment, is you somehow found some humor in the midst of that, that, that there is a person of good cheer that could still persist and remain and the importance of humor in the midst of grief. And not only that, there are the, we have the grief of losing loved ones, but there's also the grief of 
missed expectations of life has sort of passed us by. There's lots of forms of grief. And I know you cover all of this in your online class. And I want to get into some of those topics again next. And if you're listening this morning, uh, by all means, go to MyFaithRadio.com. It is a very popular online class. It's free for all of you. It's taught by Professor Melissa Mork on navigating grief with humor. For those of us that are familiar with the journey of sorrows, I can't think of a better place to go to find some hope and healing. So more to come with Melissa Mork next here on Mornings Without Carmen. What an appropriate song to come back to as we're talking with uh, Melissa Mork about navigating grief with humor. Again, one more time, there is a free online class available to you. You can go to MyFaithRadio.com and sign up for the course, and uh, it's with Melissa Mork and how to just walk through these difficulties in grief. And Melissa, one of the things you talk about that doesn't seem terribly self-evident when we think about grief is the possibility of finding some humor in this. And so in, in the tremendous loss that you've walked through over the course of your life, can you talk about those places where humor came to play? Yeah, well, when my mom died um, in the funeral, actually, the, it was such a sad affair, you know, very serious Presbyterian ceremony, and the pastor stopped in the middle of the ceremony and said, I just would like you each to turn to a neighbor and share a favorite story about Trudy, and my dad and my siblings and I, we couldn't participate, but we listened, and first there were just, you know, sniffles and whispers, and then there were giggles and chuckles and and then there were snorts and guffaws and the walls of the church seemed to be shaking with laughter because because that is how my mother deserved to be remembered remembered for her faith for her creativity and for her good humor and it was the first time I really realized that I was allowed to laugh in in my grief and from then on, I, I remembered her with laughter with humor the, the funny things that she did and said and how we laughed together and it, it lifted me and it helped me remember her and kind of relocate her into my heart because I didn't want to say goodbye to her. I wasn't looking for closure. I just wanted to, I wanted to love my mom. And so I think that there's, there's a space for humor in our grief because that's, that's really where our loved one continues to kind of reside in our memory is through the good and happy memories more than the, the hard and painful memories. Yeah, what, what an important point. As you're talking, Melissa, I'm thinking about the the centurion in the book of Acts who says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And and I would think that mm-hmm. if people are listening this morning to, to wanting to find some humor in their own grief, and sometimes that can be hard, is there times mm-hmm. where you can just ask God to be able to say, hey, look, I, I really would love to have a little bit of good cheer in the midst of it. So that's part of the abiding memory of that. Can you Can you help me with that? Because it seems like we can't drum that up sometimes, right? Right, right. Um, and that really depends on the person who's gone and the relationship that we had with them also. So I think that praying for continuing healing along with that is is important as well. Uh, well, grief, uh, losing people in our lives is something, again, with which we're all acquainted uh, on some level, but that's not the only kind of grief we experience. I know that you referenced when we were talking off air about some of the grief and loss that's happened simply because of COVID and, and missed expectations and missed opportunities. And I think about kids these days who maybe they, they miss their entire 10th or 11th grade year of school or uh, families missed out on things or, or jobs were lost. There's lots of forms of grief. So kind of take us into that a bit. Well, you know, and the thing is, is that a lot of what we were doing to cope before the pandemic hit, you know, healthy coping strategies of working out at the gym or going to church or going out for coffee with friends or whatever, seeing extended family, all of those healthy coping strategies were um, summarily dismissed, like they were just all taken away. And then we were kind of left with, uh, how am I supposed to get through this? If I can't 
I can't do those things. And, and especially when it came to social connections, we were so, you know, it wasn't just social distancing, it was social isolation that we were dealing with. And there's a lot of grief there because some of us uh, having to confront who we are alone is a very hard thing. So there's all kinds of, of pieces of grief wrapped up in what happened to us over the last 14 months or so. Um, and so in, in the course, I want to address that as part of each module. How did we cope and how were we resilient? But, but let's identify what we actually lost during these uh, past months, whether it be a person or a, a coping strategy or a relationship or an expectation or a dream or grieving what we watched our loved ones lose. There's so many pieces there. Hmm. I'm going to have a follow-up on that in just a minute, but you referenced the idea of a module or something that you talk about. Can you just give us a little sense of how this online course goes for those that are interested in signing up again? It's free and uh, has lots of different topics associated with it, but give us yep. just a quick flyover in terms of what you cover. Yep. In six weeks, we, uh, and it's not all that time consuming. There's going to be, uh, you'll, you, there's a book that you'll uh, purchase and read uh, associated with each uh, module, but we will address first week the types of grief because there's not just one kind. And then the second week, we'll talk about tasks of grief. We'll, we'll visit the stages of Kubler-Ross, but we'll really look at the tasks. What can we do to work through our grief? The third week, we'll talk about uh, resilience and what helps us bounce back. Are we born with resilience? How do we create more in our lives? The next week, we'll talk about coping and how have we coped in the past? What can we do more of what was good and what what might we want to build into our lives as far as healthy coping strategies? The fifth week is about, all about humor and how humor has biopsychosocial benefits and how to find humor. And then the last week, we'll talk about purpose and meaning and transformation and how God might use this, these experiences of grief to transform us through his glory. So it's a six-week course. It's not super time-consuming, but there are opportunities for personal reflection as well as uh, college-level learning about the those pieces of grief yeah, in a related to grief. It's an incredible opportunity, Melissa. I know you've offered it in the past and, and how popular it is. So again, one more time, myfaithradio.com. You can sign up for this course and uh, and walk through those six weeks that Melissa addressed. Maybe one more quick topic here, Melissa. I was sure. uh, participating on the Bill Arnold show that happens afternoons here on, on Faith Radio, and mm-hmm. we take questions from listeners quite often. And one of the questions that came up was, well, how do you handle when there's grief about a season that is now over? And it wasn't a bad season. Uh, It was a beautiful season. Maybe it was a job that you loved or an opportunity that you had or something that you were doing that no longer is going to be part of your future. Maybe God is leading you in a different direction or something along those lines. So um, how, how do we handle the grief of that which is past, which was actually a really beautiful season, but is no longer part of our life? Yeah, I think that um, to revisit it fondly, of course, but also to look at what was it in that experience that was so beautiful, that you really cherished, that you really loved, and can you find more of that in the future? So did it, was it fulfilling to you? Did you find yourself highly competent in that particular activity, or was it the connections that you had with other people that felt really rich and deep? But try to try to locate those, isolate those pieces and find ways to continue to meet those needs within you uh, as you move forward. I think that's one way to manage that kind of grief. 
Oh, I love it. It's such a great help. Again, uh, last time I mentioned it for this morning anyway, but it's going to be available in the in the days and weeks ahead. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. Sign up for a class if you want to help uh, be empowered to navigate grief into the future. And Melissa, uh, thank you for your willingness to be as vulnerable as you are in the midst of the grief that you have shared to help maybe just shine a light into somebody else's life to walk that out moving forward as well. All for the glory of God. Thank you. Absolutely. Amen. Thanks. We'll take a short break and come back for some bottom of the hour news and preview the last segment here on Mornings Without Carmen. So last night I found myself staying up way too late to do a morning show. It was about 1045 at night. And the reason for staying up too late was I was right at that critical moment at the end of a very, very good book. It was some 570 pages long, and I got to about page 510 when the action began to heat up and decided I couldn't put it down. I love the time of summer reading. We're going to talk about that next with uh, author James Robart about some of the books he's released in the Writers' Conference coming up. But uh, I am now currently out of books to read. It was it was a spy novel that I really enjoyed. And so if you're listening this morning and you have some suggestions for what I might be able to read this summer, that would be just kind of fun fiction reading. I would love to hear from you. I love great suggestions. So please text in your suggestions at 877-933-2484. And, and you know, Paul, I don't know about you, but I enjoy a wide variety of writing. I, I am, I, I really do get drawn to some of these intrigue novels and mm. and conspiracy theories and, and crime drama, all of that. But, you know, I also really appreciate a man called Uwe and some of these kinds of uh, stories as well. They're just fun ways to, to engage in different worlds. Do you have a favorite kind of genre of literature? Well, I, I tend to go nonfiction most of the time, um, but okay. One book that I've really enjoyed, and I reread it recently, it, you, you'll have to search for it. I don't think it's in print anymore, but A Skeleton in God's Closet by Paul Meyer. He's a history professor, but he also does novels. And basically, the premise is what if somebody claimed to find and had supposed evidence of the, the body of Jesus, how would that affect people? How do you... It, it, it's brilliant. It, it's very Tom premise. Clancy-ish. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in the end, yes, Jesus is risen. Don't worry. But it is a very, That's an interesting very premise. good novel. I love that. So again, one more time, if you're listening this morning, you have some suggestions for a book, a series. Uh, this is a very selfish uh, request. I, I get it, but I would love to have some books to pass the summer with at 877-933-2484. I would love to hear from you about any suggestions you have. And up next, we'll talk with author James Rubart about a series that he has released, as well as the upcoming Northwestern Christian Writers Conference that you can participate in as well. This is Max Licato. The catchphrase, hate the sin and love the sinner, fits nicely on a bumper sticker, but how do we embed the principle in our hearts? Maybe these ideas will help. Reserve judgment. Let every person you meet be a new person in your mind. None of this labeling or preconceived notions. Listening is a healing balm for raw emotions. Happiness happens not by fixing people, but by accepting people and entrusting them into the care of God. Jesus did this. Another idea. Resist the urge to shout. You know, it's better to keep quiet and keep a friend than to be loud and lose one. Besides, they are God's servants, not yours. They are responsible to Him not to you. Let's reason together. Let's work together. And if discussion fails, let love succeed. This is Max Locato, and this is how happiness happens.
So just a few minutes ago, we requested for listeners to text in some book ideas that we could read this summer. And as the Faith Radio listeners are wont to do, they came through again. Our text line has been flooded with different ideas. I love it. Uh, the reference to the C.S. Lewis space trilogy. It's an underappreciated, I would say, trilogy of C.S. Lewis. Not as well known, but boy, I really remember that one from 25, 30 years ago. Paul, you just picked up that series yourself. I, I've never re- read it, and uh, I was able at uh, a bookseller to get the three volumes together in one inexpensively. That's going to be my summer fiction reading. I love it. Yeah, that's. I'm going to revisit that one at some point this summer, too. We have The Mill on the Floss, uh, Perhaps too classic for me is the suggestion, which I do understand, but I do appreciate my Jane Austen books and uh, and some of the books of the past as well. So thank you for that. And the Wing Feather Saga from Andrew Peterson. Mm-hmm. One, oh my gosh, my kids love Andrew Peterson and those books. And Andrew Peterson is actually going to be coming here as part of the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference in uh, in July. And our guest here is part of that as well. And it's author Jim Rubar. Jim, good morning. Good morning, guys. It's so great to have you as part of this. Why don't before we get into some of the novels that you've been releasing lately, why don't you tell us a little bit about this writers conference and what your hope is for it? Yeah, this writers conference, I've been there once live and once virtually last year. And I got to tell you, if you are a writer, this is a conference you need to come to not only for the excellent teaching, but the atmosphere. I I've been to a lot of conferences over the years and this one, it's a good one. Yeah. And so what are some of the things that you're going to cover? Because I know a lot of people enjoy writing in different kinds of forms. It isn't just for the person that wants to knock out a bit of war and peace or something like that. There's lots (laughs) of different ways to write. So kind of give us a little preview if somebody wanted to sign up for the conference, so what they would expect. Yeah, you, you might not believe this, Peter, but there are certain formulas. There are certain ways and principles that you can take and apply to your novel to make it Give it its best chance for success. And so what I'm going to be teaching on is how to apply the five most powerful methods of story creation to your novel. I've taught this before. The reaction is really strong. So I'm excited to give people a chance to take that story that's maybe a little bit out there, a little bit convoluted, and make it really solid and presentable to editors and agents. Well, I love it. You have so much experience in the world of writing, Jim, and you've been described, at least in some circles, as somebody who's able to combine works like the screw tape letters and the shack. I think that far underestimates your ability, Jim. <laughs> I don't know about that, Peter, but I appreciate it. Yeah, I love the work. Well, you've released a pretty intriguing series that's a bit about crime fiction and a crime detective, and uh, you're doing this in, in not just maybe every other year kind of fashion. It's coming out pretty rapidly. So take us into where we are with this current series that you're releasing and, and what the premise of the story is. Yeah, years ago, this friend of mine, Susie Warren, readers will know her as Susan May Warren, she and I became great friends, like like my sister. And she said, someday we have to write a series together. I said, yeah, let's do it. And we're both fascinated with time travel. <laughs> and so we combined those two things. So really, it's the story of this guy, Rembrandt Stone, this detective that solves cold cases by traveling back into the past. Wow. So in, in, how did you like come up with this premise in terms of in, in, is this character somebody that um, has a lot of complexity to him or is it somebody who's just out there to solve crime? Like how did you these two questions, right? How, how did you come up with the premise besides loving the time travel part of it? And are you intrigued by detectives as well and how their psyche works? I'm yes, both Susie and I are, are intrigued because you have both of us have a great sense of justice, but also a great sense of compassion and a great sense of second chances, giving people second chances. And so our character needs to have a chance to have second chances. So very complex character. And Susie called me up and says, I've got it. I've got it. 
we're going to have this guy Rembrandt Stone, and he's going to go back into the past. And I don't want to, any spoilers here, but you can probably anticipate this, that he goes back into the past to solve this cold case. Well, when he gets back to the present, things are not as he left them and having to deal with that. So, yeah, it's been a really fun series. Yeah, and did this, I know you've got six books in mind, three have been released, and you're actually releasing the next three over the course of this year, from what I understand. Yes, that's right. So we, back in February of 2017, Susie and David, her son and I, brainstormed all six books. And then last year, Susie wrote the books, David and I are editing them, and then what I'm doing right now, Peter, which I absolutely love, is I'm voicing the books. So I'm narrating each book. And three books have come out so far. I'm right in the process of narrating book four. And the next three books will release uh, in August, October, and late November. I know it is a, it's told of J.K. Rowling that when the Harry Potter series, as she began to develop that, that the entire story, at least by her um, what, what she suggested happened there. She was on a train from London to Edinburgh, and the entire story sort of just popped into her head all at one time. And she began to scrawl out and sketch out the storyboards and the napkin. Like all books, one through seven, came through for her, and it just then took some time to write them out. When you talk about releasing books in the rapid fire fashion that you are, did this entire story in that same sort of way kind of pop into your head, or are you learning about the very story that you want to write even as you sit down to write it? Well, actually, in this case, Susie and David and I, it, it all popped. Well, I can't say it popped into our head. We, we, we explored it over the course of a long weekend. We worked 12-hour days. We had storyboards up on our wall and, and basically mapped the whole thing out. And then as you write, it, it changes. There's, there's tweaks and, and new directions and that kind of thing. But basically, we had all six books ready to go before we even started writing them. Is there a sense, too, when you write, Jim, that you have to be able to enter into the minds of a lot of other kind of people? I think about one of the great Christian opportunities we have is to be people of what I would describe as mutuality, meaning that I take somebody else's perspective, I take somebody else's point of view that is very different from me. I take it as seriously as my own. It doesn't mean I might agree with it, but it does mean that I'm limited in my view, and so is the other person, but I want to take it seriously. And so when you think about somehow depicting these characters in these stories, I think on some level you have to have the skill of entering into somebody else's point of view and the humility that comes with that. That is such a great point, Peter. Stephen Covey in his famous book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, step five is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And I think in today's society, we don't seek to understand and go, tell me about that. You feel really differently than me. I'd like to hear your perspective. But as a novelist, you have to do that. You have to do that to get genuine characters that do not agree. And that conflict is where the meat of the story is. Now, we're talking with Jim Rubart this morning. He's a New York Times bestselling author, and he's part of the Northwestern Christian Writers <clears throat> Conference that's coming up that you can be a part of as well. Jim, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to ask you the question if anybody can be a writer, that uh, anybody in, in a variety of ways can step into this, and what that even does for our spiritual formation as we engage in the writing process. More to come here with Jim Rubart, New York Times bestselling author. So many books, so little time. 
We are talking writing this morning with author Jim Rubart and the opportunity you all have to participate in the writing process at the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. And it really is for anyone. I'm going to talk about that with Jim in just a moment. But thank you for all the suggestions you've been texting in this morning. I asked for suggestions to read this summer. And if you can text in at 877-933-2484, maybe a favorite book or a favorite series. There you have, I have the Lord Peter Whimsey series that has been texted in. I have heard of that series, something I definitely definitely would uh, want to read. We've got uh, some other books coming in. I don't know how to pronounce this last name, Paul, but uh, Melanie texted in and said, 31 books by Brock and Bodie Taney Taney series. I read them four to five years ago, said that she loved them. I think that is great. Uh, Linda wrote in and said, this is fiction, but excellent reading. I do love my fiction. The Keeper of the Bees. I have heard about that one in passing. Looking forward to that as well. So back with uh, Jim. Jim, so if you had a favorite book series that you had to return to maybe two or three more times in the course of your life, what might it be? Oh, without question, The Chronicles of Narnia. (laughs) (laughs) There, I would. Yeah, it's something so interesting. Right, I read those with my kids maybe five years ago again after having yeah. set them aside for 20 years, and I was just mesmerized at the ease with which Lewis is able to bring difficult kingdoms concepts into the lives and the dialogue of the characters. Yes, yes, absolutely. Those are the books that blew my mind when I was a kid, and they actually inspired me to become a novelist. I just thought I have to try someday to do what Lewis do for others what Lewis has done for me. Yeah, indeed. We have a text uh, directed just for you here too, Jim. Uh, Jane wrote in and said, can you please spell the author's name and the series title for the time-traveling detective books you are talking about today? So, Jim, uh, it's J-I-M, James uh, Rubart, R-U-B-A-R-T. Give us uh, the name of the detective series as well. The series is called The True Lies of Rembrandt Stone, and you can go to rembrandtstone.com, find out about it, and you can download the first chapter of the audiobook um, for free if you want to. Give it a sample. I love it. Another question for you here, Jim, that came up based on our conversation at the first half of this time together. Peter or Jim, please explain storyboards. I would be well out of my depth if I gave that an attempt. You're the author, Jim. Give it a go. (laughs) <laughs> well, you can Google it. Storyboards, it'll probably do a better job than than me. But essentially, how I do storyboards is I have these big, literally white boards or white pieces of paper up on a wall. And I will take scenes and write them out, storyboarding it. This is what's going to happen in this scene. This is what's going to happen in this scene. And even to the point where, and this is what I'm going to be talking about at the conference, is Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. So I know what is happening before I start writing the book. So it's really kind of brainstorming the scenes, brainstorming the book, getting it out on paper visually before you start writing. Interesting. Thanks for that explanation, Jim. So <laughs> if I'm somebody, and, and I am somebody, that I, I like to think that I enjoy talking and teaching for a living, but Jim, to the extent that I've ever sat down to try to write something, uh, I begin to kind of pulsate with sweat, and I get nervous, and I can't figure out the next <laughs> word in front of me, and the first sentence doesn't connect to the last one. Clearly, I'm somebody that shouldn't belong at the conference, or am I somebody that could come to this conference and learn a bit about writing, even if I don't feel like I have a gift for it? Peter, years ago, I heard a gentleman named Gary Barkalo say, desire reveals design and design reveals destiny. So if you have this desire to write, this is how God designed you. And with that design, being this person who loves and is passionate about writing, that reveals your destiny. So look at you in radio. I'm sure you didn't go, yeah, I I don't want to be on the radio. It's not exciting to me. I'm not interested. I don't want to interview people. (laughs) No, you had this desire to do it, but you also had this nervousness about, can I do this? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can believe in myself. 
but you overcame that and you stepped into this destiny that you're in. Same thing with writers. My son and I have this uh, academy, the Rubart Writing Academy, and so we work with all these authors. And the thing that holds them back the most is belief. Can I really do this? Am I supposed to be doing this? If you have this desire, God put it there. You're designed that way. And that is your destiny. So I encourage people to step into it because we think that talent is natural. Mm. Yes, there's a little bit of that. But read a book by Angela Duckworth called Grit. What, what brings success in any endeavor is persistent, not necessarily natural talent. Now, I love that invitation, Jim. I do remember the first time that I was invited to be in the radio as part of the Minnesota Twins Baseball Network. And I think I not slept for, oh, I don't know, about five days before that opportunity because <laughs> you're so nervous. But to your point, it, it really, once you have a little seed of desire that begins to be birthed, to right, to, fan, right. to to massage that seed, to, to put it in the right kind of soil, that's what we're talking about with this conference. And so yep. if anybody has that desire, they can come. It's a Friday night and a Saturday, right, Jim? Yeah. That's right. So tell and again, you're not you're one of the speakers, but there's other opportunities in the midst of this, from what I understand. Oh, there's so many speakers, and unfortunately, this year I'm going to be virtual again. But it's a hybrid conference where people can get on campus and connect. Here's the thing, Peter: it's not just the instruction; it's the inspiration of being around other people who have the same dream. It's connecting with other writers. It's connecting with editors and agents. It, it the community is the thing that blows me away about about conferences. Yeah, there is something about the power of gathering together with other like-minded right, people. It's right. almost this exponential effect, right? If yes. there's two of you, it feels like there's 10 of you. I'm sure you and Susie probably went back and forth like crazy on the storyboarding when you talked about that for those 12 hours. I would imagine the energy in the room was palpable. It was. It was. And there's such excitement with that. So, yeah, I encourage anybody who's saying, I don't know. I, I was the guy who, who for years said I was going to go to a conference here in the Seattle area. Never did. So I'm encouraging people, if you have that spark of, I'm not sure... Oh, gosh, follow the spirit. Go to the conference. You will not regret it. Paul, if listeners are listening this morning, they do want to sign up for the conference. Can you just give them uh, some tips about where to go? Oh, yeah, easy. Just go online to northwesternchristianwritersconference.com. All the information's right there. Yeah, highly recommend. I know my wife and two of my kids have already signed up as well and looking oh, forward great. to that for them. Uh, Casey just wrote in here, Jim, and I think that you have uh, somebody who shares the perspective on the Chronicles of Narnia. I love this text. It starts with, <laughs> Ugh. I'm obsessed with the Chronicles of Narnia. I love the UG <laughs> part of that, Jim. Obviously, with all the different books. Is there one for you out of the Chronicles that you just, when you return to it, just think this is the one that is the most meaningful for me? Well, it's you can't get away. The last battle is really tough, the first half of the book, but you cannot get away from that ending. Um, and so I would have to say that, you know, the, the last third of that book, oh my gosh, I could read that over and over again. Yeah, what an incredible picture of heaven, right? Ever up and every yes. end. Every day yes. is better than the last. I just think it's, yep. uh, that's so important. I, I appreciate from the voyage of the Don Treader as well, when used to scrub is moving from dragon back to human and just the painfulness oh, of that transformation, yeah. right? Yes. Yes, I used that, used that analogy with a friend just the other day. So, yep, I'm with you on that. I love it. Casey is saying the horse and his boy exclamation point. So that is the one thing, which is a kind of, it's an interesting because it falls in the same time span as the four main children as they're the Kings and Queens of Care Paravel. And it's a little take on another part of Narnia. If I remember that book correctly. That's right. That's right. right. I love it. Well, Jim, thanks so much. Uh, Paul, maybe again, one more time listening. I just think it's such an exciting opportunity to be a part of this Northwestern Christian Writers uh, Conference. Give us a, a sense of where to go. Yep. Again, uh, simply go to northwesternchristianwritersconference.com. I love it. Jim, thanks so much for the time. And I just think anybody who has a chance to go to this conference is going to benefit. So thanks for what you do. 
Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we'll take a short break and wrap up our show here for the 10th of June on this Thursday morning on Mornings Without Carmen. Well, that wasn't not fun with uh, Jim Hubert. I, I'm <laughs> not, not even sure fun. I used the double negatives correctly there, but boy, oh boy, somebody who just has such amazing passion and uh, cares so deeply about the writing process. What an endeavor that he undertook with Susie in terms of releasing six books in one year, a time-traveling crime detective. I am picking up the series, I think, when I get home later today. Well, actually, they've been writing this uh, series uh, for the last, well, upcoming 12 months, but they're using time travel to... Get it to get it back. Yeah. That, that that was the secret, indeed. <laughs> Again, thanks for all the texts in about different series and and different books that we can read. It's really it, it helps engage the mind. I know sometimes even concepts within the kingdom of God can get a little rough to try to understand. And sometimes on this program, we talk a little bit about the Greek and the Hebrew language, and just that 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 can feel deep and complex. And I remember I was with my students in a college writing course at one point, and as we were trying to activate our brains again, just in general, I said, you know, to learn to write. Why don't we just once again learn how to read? And, uh, and we assigned with one another maybe one of the top 50 novels of all time. And in so doing, we reflected on how hard it was to get back into reading at first because we were so often on our phones or watching Netflix or something like that. But suddenly you could disappear into the world of the text. And what was interesting about that is my brain was able to be reopened again in some ways that could then take in some of the things of the kingdom that we talk about so often and, and some of the complexity of that in our discipleship journey. So by all means, sometimes the summer, find a good series, a clean series, a helpful series, an encouraging series, even if it's not overtly Christian, and sink into that world of imagination and creativity. Great show with all of you again this morning and so enjoyed being with you. That tomb is empty. We serve a king of an eternal kingdom and we'll catch you tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.